welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're just taking a bit of stock. What with all that's been going on in the world of football, we got a Bundesliga match today. We got three European draws. We've got a Germany squad announcement. We've got a transfer window that's just about to make contact with the sash before we know it. With me this week to pull all these threads together. It's one of my favorite guests. It is Marie Schulte. Welcome. Hello. Hello, Matt. This is also one of my favorite podcasts. <laughs> Spectacular. We're just, we're just going to have a favorite time over the next little while. Yeah, I can't wait. Excellent. Tell me what you've been up to lately. I do know one thing, which I do want to say congratulations to, uh, finishing your master's degree in journalism at Columbia. You know, only the second best journalism school in New York City. <laughs> Are you saying which one is the best, CUNY or NYU? What's your What's your take? Come there? on, I, I went to NYU, so y you know what it is. There you go. Yeah. Well, I have to say NYU is in a better location, um, so I, I will give you that. But yeah, I, I graduated this week from my one year master's in journalism degree, and I am now on the job hunt. And yeah, have a few things where I'm kind of close to closing them. I hope but nothing to shout out yet, nothing to announce yet, but hoping to stay in New York um, and work as a journalist in the city. And the other big um, personal news is that I got my own dog. So I have a mini golden doodle called Gatsby, who is adorable. He's currently jumping on my bed and he's already been inducted into the world of the Bundesliga and the NBA and of course the Euros 2020. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this show, you should be following Marie for her Bundesliga exploits, including the Bundesliga Minutes show on YouTube from the Transfer Exchange show. But, you know, even if you weren't a Bundesliga fan, follow her for the Gatsby content. <laughs> oh, my God. As if on cue. Ain't no thing, Gatsby. We'll just we'll move things right along. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we do have a lot of ground to cover. So we will be back in a jiffy. Let us kick off Talking Foosball Direct. This is the show that comes out, you know, pretty soon after the match day just concludes. We try and tie up all the big storylines, the big threads from the match day. Sometimes that is the big games. Sometimes that is uh, sort of the big blockbuster news events and or ways of, of putting the, the young season in context. I think the place that I really want to start this week is kind of about preseason expectations. I mean, three games in, I don't think we can necessarily call any of the prognostications, be they mine, yours, anybody else's, completely true or false just yet. But I think there are some there are some stories coming down the pike, let's just say, about maybe things we underestimated or overestimated. And I guess first and foremost, we've got the team sitting on top of the Bundesliga right now. That is Falfell Wolfsburg. They have won three games out of three, the only team with a 100% record thus far this season. They got a win over RB Leipzig, you know, another team who sort of has high aspirations for the season. Jerome Roussillon got the only goal of that game against Leipzig. He mopped up a ball that Peter Gulacic just didn't quite parry to safety, as it turned out. 
This was a really testy game without a lot of fireworks, which is pretty much the way Wolfsburg like it, or at least have done in the last several years. All three of their wins thus far this season have come by a single goal margin, and they've allowed just one goal thus far this season. Yeah, Marie, there was a lot of talk prior to the season. Some of that talk might have even come out of my mouth. <laughs> that Wolfsburg, although I wasn't alone, Wolfsburg, out of all the top teams who changed their coaches in the offseason, and, and, you know, I think we all remember that most of the top teams changed their coaches in the offseason, that they were maybe the most susceptible to falling off. That has definitely not yet come to pass. Do you have any ideas about what's been going right for them so far? Yeah, I think I, I'm not going to lie. I also am surprised by their standings and having them as leaders after three match days. And I think upon closer look, one key thing that worked in their favor in the summer is that really in the comings and goings arena of the transfer market, they did really well. They didn't really lose any key players. And that has a lot to do, of course, with qualification for Europe. And yeah, so the only people that left, you know, are were kind of secondary players like Felix Klaus or Jeffrey Brumer, who didn't really play a big role. And of course, in the last week, they signed Luca Waldschmidt. So that raised some eyebrows. That's kind of a big, big signing for them. Maximilian Philipp has done very well. It's like he never left the Bundesliga. And Lukas Mecha from Man City is like as good as his brother. So they had some really decent signings, I think, and who really slotted in well into the team. But I was surprised that the coaching transition was as smooth as this because the coach that they had previously was very highly rated, you know, as can be seen by his new club in Frankfurt. So that was kind of like a step up, at least in terms of maybe prestige in Germany. Moving from Wolfsburg to Frankfurt is a big step. But I'm as surprised as you. And I do think it's slightly flattering because having watched them today against Leipzig, they're an uncomfortable team to play. They're very physical. You know, it's it's kind of like I would imagine if you play them, you know, later in, in the shower, some of their opponents will find a lot of bruises. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the referees, you know, were certainly busy controlling that game. But I don't see them as a dark horse in the title race or anything like that. No, no. And, and you know, I, th I think it's much too early to have a lot to say about where they're going to end up uh, as, as the season rolls along. But I think that some of the, you know, some of the reports of their of their impending demise might not come to pass. I mean, it's interesting. I think the teams that they opened up the season against, uh, against Bochum and against Hertha, you know, these are two teams who have not started terribly well. And but to see them play Leipzig, I mean, I I think on balance, Leipzig probably should have managed to get at least a point out of this game. But as you said, Wolfsburg made life difficult enough for them that I, I don't think they can have a huge complaint that they lost this game. What are your thoughts about Leipzig? They seem to be sort of in a bit of a process of finding themselves. I mean, they had a poor week in, in week one against Mainz. They absolutely killed it versus Stuttgart when Soboslai basically announced, I'm here. Watch out. And they were okay against Wolfsburg, but they just weren't good enough to demand a win in this game. What What do you think is keeping Jesse Marsh and the, and the gang from, from finding the dominant form? Because one of the things that really was a hallmark of theirs in the past was that 
aside from games against a few top teams, they basically knew how to boss games against almost everybody. And I don't think they quite found that yet. Yeah, I think there are just too many changes. I mean, and I don't just mean that in terms of comings and goings, you know, losing Konate, losing Upamecano, but also within the squad itself that is still there. Danny Olmo, you know, is, for lack of a better word, still being rested after performing in the Euro and the Olympics, which I think is extraordinary, by the way, that the Spanish team did that with so many players, including Pedri. Yeah. Uh, I just don't understand. By extraordinary, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I think you mean extraordinarily stupid. Yes, because, I mean, like, let's think about Pedri and Dani Olmo. They both also played Champions League football. So they, on club level, they probably had 45 to 50 games last season. And then they had two international tournaments, one of which was in Japan, you know, under like lockdown conditions. So that's draining mentally and physically for a young player. And it's tough because Danny Olmo, you know, he carried Leipzig at, at the end of last season. He was very performing very well and he's he's missing now in this lineup. And I think another thing that is working against them is that Andre Silva, who, you know, everyone agreed was kind of a steal, like really a striker with the potential to be one of Europe's best, a very good signing. He hasn't really found his way yet in Leipzig. And I think it's also, you know, I, I really think very highly of Jesse Marsh. And I think, you know, he will hit his stride. But it's obviously very, very tough to follow in Julian Nagelsmann's footsteps. So, yeah, maybe just too many different factors rocking the boat there for now. See, this is the opposite to Wolfsburg for me, where I really think Leipzig will end up in one of those top three spots. And I think they just need a, a bit more time to find themselves. Yeah, I think it's much too early to have particularly strong feelings about much of anything. One thing I do have a really strong feeling about, and this is this is maybe just reflective of a certain soft spot that I have for this player, but I thought it was a, a fun gesture. <laughs> John Brooks in the game against Leipzig. <laughs> there was a, a point where he and Andre Silva were kind of getting each other's faces. And, you know, they had a coming together, let's just say, <laughs> chest to chest. But uh, Andre Silva decided to sort of play it as if he had just been hit in the face and he went down to the deck holding his face. And John Brooks <laughs> did not even do him the courtesy of, like, stopping to, like, get in his face and, and yell at him. Mm. He just put his hands together at the side of his face as if to say, like, go to bed, little boy, <laughs> and just left him behind and, like, made him look like a fool. Yeah. I thought it was fun. That's amazing. And, <laughs> I mean, kind of like what you would expect from John Brooks. He just looks like that kind of tough guy. And I think in some ways, you know, football as a sport needs more players that don't just look like tough guys but really are because I think the Olympics showed this again that there are other sports that where sportsmanship is a far higher rule and just common courtesy and decency and really it's awful that you know like players stick their hand up and demand a yellow card for their opponent it's just like it's kind of disgusting but it's it's so established in like I play intramural soccer in New York and I had a game last Tuesday and from very short distance my friend my teammate Connie she was hit on the hand but like she literally like just had the hand next to her 
and the oppo opposition player, and this, these were like all volunteer referees who don't get paid, was like, ref, ref, like demanding a penalty. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, but that, that's what happens, you know, when you see players kind of do that, pull that crap on, on television, it's, it's going to influence amateur players and, and children. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'll bring this up just because I know that you're also a NBA fan. It was very interesting to see the NBA players, primarily the U.S. players, but I think probably to a lesser extent players for other countries who play a lot more NBA basketball than they do international game, have to really adjust to the refereeing philosophy of Olympic referees who basically were not there for any like flopping or selling of fouls or unnatural movements of, you know, they were up for a very, very different type of game that was a lot less predicated on, you know, I don't know, sort of taking advantage of star power, which is something that happens in that particular sport and to a lesser extent, uh, football as well. Definitely. Yeah. And also, I feel like the commentators had to adjust as well. There was frequent a time during the Olympics, especially in basketball, where the commentators were like, oh, oh, OK, the referee is not going to do anything. <laughs> and it's, it's, I think it's similar in, in the Bundesliga um, when I watch it on ESPN, where sometimes the umpire, the, not the umpires, the commentators just expect players to pull crap. And then, you know, when there's like the slightest contact and they say, oh, that was clever of him. That was his experience showing like, I, I heard that this weekend in a scene with Daniel Caligiuri against uh, Leverkusen, so Augsburg v. Leverkusen, and he kind of fell. And the commentator was like, yeah, good move. You know, that that's his experience, you know, getting getting the best out of the situation. And I'm like, can we not celebrate this? <laughs> but it's just so, so common that it, it's hard to, you know, it's not like a switch that you can just turn over. Yeah, for sure. I, I do want to talk about another couple of teams briefly who were also in that group of clubs who got new coaches. And these were the ones who, who both got, you know, the Wolfsburg coach went to Frankfurt, Oliver Glasner, and the Frankfurt coach went to Gladbach, that is Adi Hütter. And at least as yet, those two teams, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Eintracht Frankfurt, are not looking very good this season. Gladbach were pretty well neutralized in Berlin, by Union on Sunday, while Eintracht, I kind of felt like they, they had no business not getting a win in Bielefeld, but still they somehow managed to make it happen. Is there any reason to think that either of those two uh, coaches are, aren't going to figure it out at their, at their new clubs, Marie? Yeah, I'm more concerned about Frankfurt out of those two, just because Frankfurt really, I feel like in the past few years, they really had a coach who fit the city so well and the club so well and you know had the tactical acumen he proved that many times and kind of over delivered I remember he came like the season where they lost the buffalo herd so to speak you know of Sebastian Allaire and Ante Rebic and Luka Jovic and he just made it work you know they, they still performed in the season after that and there was always so much euphoria carrying that team. The, you know, it just infected the whole city and, and the fandom and all those European nights. And Adi Hütter was kind of a very plain-spoken, direct dude who, who just worked. You know, he was very emotional. And Oliver Glasner, he's more introverted, introspective, clearly a very good coach. I mean, he proved that at his previous stations. But I'm worried for them because... You know, they lost their coach, they lost their main striker, and 
it's just, I feel like they could kind of get into a spiral. I know that Philip Kostic also was trying to force a move in the last few days, and he's really important for them. As for Gladbach, I'm not too concerned. I think it's growing pains. I think they played very, very well against Bayern Munich in that opening match, and were unlucky not to get a penalty at the end. And, you know, they could have won that game, and then we, we wouldn't even be talking about them. And I actually think... Gladbach, you know, they just got Bayern in the second round cup draw for the German Cup. And I think that's, for Bayern, that's perhaps the worst team that they could have gotten. <laughs> yeah, it's in Borussia Park as well. So it's, you know, the place that Bayern really don't like to play. Yeah, I think, I mean, for, to me, it's like over the past few years, it's it's against Leverkusen and Gladbach that Bayern has historically struggled a lot. And it's because both of those teams don't mind having the ball can counter-attack, have fast players on the wings. And, you know, all those qualities that serve Gladbach well against Bayern will serve them well against other Bundesliga teams as well. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned about them. Yeah, yeah. And, and as far as, uh, as Gladbach's loss this match day, I mean, Union, they're good. Yeah. They're a good team. They, you know, I think that they had had not managed to sort of show that in the first couple of games in terms of their results. But, you know, the, <laughs> I got no problem with with a team that goes to the Alte Försterei and doesn't get a result. That's that's a tough place to do it. Let's talk a little bit about probably the big sort of thriller of the match day. I mean, I guess there might be be some argument because there there were a couple of games that were you know, back and forth and close and whatnot. But I think the wild ride on Friday night between Dortmund and Hoffenheim was probably the marquee game in terms of, of you know, the run of play being crazy. Dortmund, they needed late dramatics from uh, Erling Holland, of course, to cancel out the late dramatics of Munis de Boer to get a 3-2 win in that game. Bay, I think they had been a bit wasteful earlier in the 90 minutes. They probably should have had that game in the bag by the t- time things came to that. But, you know, what's the fun in that? That's that's not the Dortmund way. <laughs> Is there any much to consider here, Marie? I, I basically think, despite the fact that I, I kind of said that they, they could have done better, I think overall this was a very good bounce-back performance from a pretty eh performance in Freiburg last week for Dortmund. Definitely. This was enjoyable. This was signature Dortmund game in the sense that there were some sloppy individual mistakes, but more than made up for by the class in attack. And I always think, you know, when you say it like that, it unfairly kind of separates the defense and the attack. But, you know, we we saw moments on the first three match days, actually, where Akanji really joined the attack. I think he's actually in very good form and that hasn't always been the case over the past few years. We know that Rafael Guerrero basically considers himself a winger. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of a two-way street for those players. And Jude Bellingham, you know, just continues to grow and is such an exemplary box-to-box modern midfielder who can really do it all. So, yeah, this was a really fun game. I I would say I'm a little concerned about Julian Brandt just moving forward because, you know, he's no longer a young player. He's 25 now. And his kind of, I I feel like he's stagnated for about, this is like the third year where he's he's not really a starter. And this, it's just, it, it worries me because... He was so promising, and it reminds me a little bit of the path of a different Julian, and that's Julian Draxler, in the sense that 
they really kind of tore the Bundesliga apart when they were, you know, in their late teens. And then there was a transfer and then everything kind of died down. And so, you know, I, I, I think maybe he could be a beneficiary of the Thomas Delaney transfer because, you know, there's now one less midfielder in the queue to get on the pitch. And we definitely saw that this weekend because he was the first substitution. I just think very, very highly of him. I think he's really good on the ball, very skillful. And I guess I would just like to see more of him. But that has to do a lot of with him, you know, how he performs in training. Can he take it up with Bellingham or... I do think that Julian Brandt can take comfort in one of his teammates, though. And that's Murahud because he had a similar path of coming from a different Bundesliga team where he excelled as a teenager. In, in Murahud's case, that was Gladbach. Of course, in uh, Julian Brandt's case, that was Bayer Leverkusen. And Murahud similarly didn't do well in his first few years at, at Dortmund, got a chance under different coaches and really couldn't really find his place. And then he had his breakout season last year. You know, now in his mid-20s, he did very well under Edin Terzic. And maybe we'll see a similar Julian Brandt revival later this season. Yeah, I wish he could take a little bit of the... I mean, you look at some of the sort of emotion that was shown in this win. You know, the way that Gio Reyna, the way that Jude Bellingham, the way that Erling Holland celebrate... I want to see that emotion from from Julian Brandt. I don't know if he even has it in him. He doesn't seem like that kind of a guy. But I would love to see him, you know, kind of show me a little bit more. Mm. I think maybe maybe that's just something that might be infectious once uh, the fans are in the house and, and the sort of things get overheated. But I don't know. I, I'd like to see him bust loose. Yeah. And, you know, you just named the three youngest players on the pitch yeah. for Dortmund in Giorena and Bellingham and Haaland. These are players that are born in the current millennium, <laughs> the current century, so to speak. I think it's like 2000, 2002 and 2003 between them. And it's, a, it's you know, they have overtaken Julian Brandt. And that was by no means a given. I mean, especially in the case of Gio Reyna. I mean, well done to him. He's he's really made leaps and, and bounds at Dortmund. Um, so I, I agree with you. Some more um, emotion and maybe connectivity with the rest of the teammates would serve Julian Brandt well. Yeah, I reckon so. Let's talk a little bit since we are on the subject of Dortmund. They're, of course, one of the teams who are participating in European competition on behalf of the Bundesliga this season. And at the end of last week, we found out who everybody's going to get to play. I thought it was a pretty interesting constellation of teams for all the teams in the Champions League. We should probably give a quick rundown. Dortmund are going to face off against Ajax, Sporting Club de Portugal, and Besiktas. Bayern face Barcelona, Benfica, and Dinamo Kiev. Wolfsburg have Lille, RB Salzburg, and Sevilla. And then the doozy, RB Leipzig, get Brugge, and also Man City and PSG. <laughs> I reckon, you know, if there's one of those four teams that can feel a, a little hard done by, it's going to be Leipzig. Do one of those other three teams sort of catch your eye as a particularly intriguing set of teams or, or maybe a group that is deceptively hard or deceptively easy? Yeah, I think the Dortmund group, honestly, because Ajax, you know, 
on a good day, Ajax can win in Dortmund and at home if they're lucky. And Besiktas is always difficult to play away in Turkey. And then Sporting is, is also a team that, you know, has some uh, very talented players. And I think it, this group reminds me, I, I think it's very deceptive. It reminds me of the group that they were in in 2017. I, I think it could be uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, there is a certain expectation in Dortmund that you, you have to meet the round of 16. And um, we'll see what happens in that group. But I think they were probably a lot of size of reliefs among the fans at the draw and and I think that could be mistaken but of course like like most people watching this I am very excited for you know all the El Plastico games that we can expect in RB Leipzig's group with Man City and PSG it's it's really you know a billionaire's club in that league yep yep there's going to be a lot of corporate rating going on in that group I'm kind of intrigued by Wolfsburg's group only because, uh, you know, I, I think the pot system in the Champions League, you know, maybe it needs a little work, but I, I, I get where they're coming from and putting all the teams who are actually, who actually won the league into pot one and that there, there's something to be said for, you know, a, a big reward for, for that. We did get a lot of unusual champions, let's just say, not always the sort of serial champions last season, including in France. So getting Lille as your sort of pot one opponent is not a bad way to go. It, it does seem pretty funny to me that Wolfsburg, a team who haven't been exactly a fixture in this competition, I really think got away with by far the easiest group of all the German teams. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, their confidence is growing by every weekend, as we talked about earlier. They have a coach who the German word for him is pretty much Schlitzohr. You know, someone who you would want to put your money on in a street fight. And in Mark van Bommel, who has a wealth of European experience. And I think as a kind of coach in a, in a dressing room in a European game, when you are at a difficult away fixture, you can really make the players, you know, go out there and want to die for him. So that that could be interesting to see how they do, you know, especially with a brilliant striker like Weichhorst who I, I do expect him to, to be able to score on that stage as well. So, yeah, overall, I mean, I, I can't wait for this to be back and I can't wait for fans to be back for these type of games as well. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of fans back on European nights, I think that's a really nice way to start talking about the Europa League and Eintracht Frankfurt, famously supportive of their club, especially away in Europe. They have drawn Royal Antwerp, Fenerbahce, and Olympiakos. Meanwhile, Bayer Leverkusen are facing Gang Green, which is Ferenc Varos, Real Betis, and Celtic. Any immediate thoughts about those groups? Yeah, I mean, if anything, I would say the Europa League this season is is like a delicacy, you know? It's really like gourmet football food. You know, the types of clubs that are represented there. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the installment of the conference league. No, you know, overdue disrespect to those teams who qualified for that. But the kind of, you know, teams that no one can spell and, and no one can locate on a map, you know, are now competing in that competition. And the conference league, because precisely what you said with, uh, you know, some unexpected champions in the top European leagues last year, the Conference League has a lot of meaty teams. And we see that in these groups. I mean, I'm particularly excited 
about Frankfurt's groups and for those away games and just for those sets of fans, you know, Olympiakos and Besiktas, that's entertaining. Oh my. (laughs) I hope they don't mind flares because they're going to get more flares in those away games than they've gotten. I I expect so. (laughs) Uh, And since you mentioned the UEFA Europa Conference League, Union, of course, made it. They have Slavia Prague, Feyenoord, and... Maccabi Haifa. I would actually say that, you know, for a competition that is more or less, you know, we joke about it being the place where off-brand clubs go to to play each other. That's actually a pretty, that's a pretty name brand group, I would say. Yeah, I mean, that group totally contradicts everything I just said. So that's brilliant, brilliant branding for for the Conference League. <laughs> and really exciting, of course, for um, Union's fans. You know, some some fun places to visit there, especially Haifa um, is a really gorgeous city that I've been lucky enough to go to on the Mediterranean. So, yeah, I really think, you know, European nights at Copenhagen, it's meant to happen. It's meant to be. So congratulations to them. Yeah, I I don't know precisely when their game in Haifa is going to be, but if it's, you know, getting on late into the fall and winter, that's going to be a really nice break for those guys. Yeah, especially, I mean, if anyone's been to Berlin, you know, outside the summer months, it's, you really have those Siberian winds coming into the city anytime between like November and March. So it will be a good place to escape. (laughs) (laughs) Got nothing on Wisconsin. (laughs) All right, we will take a quick break and be right back. Here is part two of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we sort of walk through the rest of the match day as far as all the other games as well as all the other storylines. And I I would actually say that there's quite a lot still left on the bone, even if we don't have a ton of time to talk it over. I think we should probably start with what came out of Bayern's 5-0 throttling of Hertha BSA. Really, this is a pretty cut and dried result, you know, one Excellent team, <laughs> handily defeated one poor one. But I think there is some stuff going on here. First of all, I want to talk, and this this is partly prompted by your request, Marie, and partly prompted by a listener who wrote in last week about the continued rise of Jamal Musiala, who, you know, has been making an impact as a substitute both last season and, and the first couple of games of this young season. But this was his first league start under Julian Nagelsmann. And Man, I I like his chances to keep on starting. He scored early in the second half. He put in a couple of key passes. He even did some good defensive work in midfield. I mean, I remember at one stage him just bodying Dodi Lukabakio off the ball, which granted I think probably most people could do, but you know, it's good. He's only a kid. He can he can already do that. I'm hugely impressed with him. And I think Leroy Sane, the story of 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 his sort of ups and downs, is really going to continue, not only for Bayern, but maybe even in the national team as well, as long as Musiala's around. Definitely. I mean, he's a very exciting player. He's a player that the fans adore. And, you know, although he he's not from Munich and he didn't kind of rise through the ranks, he is technically a product of the campus, you know, although Chelsea would, you know, like to disagree, I, I would hazard a guess. But he he's done so well. And I think 
it makes for some uncomfortable coaching decisions. And I don't just mean in Munich. I also mean during the international break, because Hansi Flick knows both of these players. You know, they're direct rivals now, Jamal Musiala and Leroy Sunny. He knows both of them well. You know, Chuck and Thomas Müller there was, you know, as well, in case Musiala is considered for the central positions. And you have some juicy debate to, you know, to consider because Musiala is not giving any coach any reason to bench him. And he does bring very different qualities to the table. And I, I would say, you know, as a huge supporter of Leroy Sunny, I'm, I'm a big admirer of his style. It's, it's just really sad to see because Sunny, he always had that flashiness and confidence on the pitch that really made him, you know, international, worthy of international class and um, like a, a player of international standing. And he had that swagger on the dribbles and on the sprints on the wings. And I think Man City's game really suited that because Pep Guardiola loves to play very, very wide. And he just hasn't been able to bring that to Munich. And Bayern Munich is a, you know, they always say, oh, we're a family. You know, that you know you always have those barbecues at Uli Hoeneß's house um, on, on the lake outside of Munich. I've actually been there. It's gorgeous. I'm Tegernsee. It's absolutely gorgeous. Kind of like on a big mountain overlooking this alpine lake and everything is all warm and fuzzy and cozy. But if you're one of the signature signings of the past few years at Leroy Sané's case and you're a German international and everyone knows at Bayern that, you know, they pride themselves on having German internationals and, you know, expectations are just that much higher. And again, Leroy Sané in the same way as Julian Brandt we were talking about earlier, he's no longer a talent, you know, he's, in his mid-twenties, he's actually a father of two children and he he has to bear some of that responsibility. And at the moment, he's not. And Jamal Musiala is the kind of deserved beneficiary of that. I wanted to get your thoughts quickly about other national team stuff, just because there is, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there is a new Germany squad that came out. It's, it's, it's Hansi Flick's first Germany squad. And I don't think it was full of controversy, but there were some interesting wrinkles. There were three players included for the first time, as well as a couple of others who, you know, probably had had more time with the youth team than with the senior team. Nico Schlotterbeck, Freiburg player, I think is a pretty well-established Bundesliga player at this point. But the other two guys who he brought in are, you know, at least for people who aren't either big fans of the Zweite Bundesliga or the Austrian Bundesliga, not as well known. That is uh, Karim Adiemi of uh, Salzburg and David Raum, who now plays for Hoffenheim, but you know, up until quite recently was a was a quite a field player. What do you make of where Hansi Flick wants to take this team, both in terms of you know personnel and maybe like? I don't know, sort of it, tactics or, or ambition or, or anything. What, what, what's your feeling about this new Germany? Yeah, I think in some ways Hansi Flick is very lucky because he knows the core of the team through Bayern Munich. So he has that head start in trust of the key players, which, you know, we, we all saw that at Bayern, that that was his, one of his key qualities was that relationship building, that loyalty between the players and the coach and also just the the trust that he pl uh, put on the players to kind of do their thing and, and not unnecessarily constrict them tactically. And I think that will be a, a 
breath of fresh air because in my opinion Yogi Löw didn't always do that you know he we, he had his favorites you know I think perhaps most famously Julian Draxler who <laughs> kept being called up despite never playing for PSG and he had players he did not like you know we just talked about one of them so I'm not going to mention it here and he had made some bizarre tactical decisions like sticking with the three central defenders and that kind of quasi backline of five defenders and I think Hansi Flick won't basically he won't have to do much to to kind of change things up is what I'm trying to get at you know he basically just has to let these players do what they're good at and you know gradually build you know fold in some of these young players like Florian Wirtz and of course Jamal Musiala and there, there are low stakes with um, the opposition that Germany's... I think Germany's playing Luxembourg. They're playing um, is it Luxembourg at Liechtenstein, at home to Armenia, and mm-hmm. away to Iceland. So... There you go. You know, these, these are these <laughs> machbare Gegner. Yes, exactly. So uh, I look forward to, to seeing how that goes. And apologies to any listeners from Liechtenstein or Luxembourg. <laughs> I did not mean to confuse your two... Little nations starting with an L who are both very beautiful. But yeah, that's that's what's coming up in the international break. Yeah, I, I, and it's to be fair, you know, I'm going to say that Luxembourg is much more beautiful than Liechtenstein just because there's much more of it. Real quick, talking about the transfer window, Bayern look to be players at the end of it. I think probably by the time this podcast gets into your ears, dear listener. Uh, Marcel Zabitza of, uh, you know, RB Leipzig is probably going to be uh, a Bayern München player. Where does he fit in to Bayern? You know, uh, clearly he's a, he's a wonderful player. However, Bayern already have a number of wonderful players playing fairly similar roles to him. What's this about? Yeah, he reminds me, I, I know there's been a lot of talk of him being ahead of Tolisso in the pecking order in midfield. But he actually reminds me most of Leon Goretzka in the sense that they're both number eight players who really have a drive towards goal, who like to score, who like to shoot from range and have a kind of technical ability that sets them apart. And so although Leon Goretzka has really established himself in Bayern's midfield in the past couple of seasons, he's often prone to injuries, injuries that take him out anywhere from three weeks to three months. And with all the competitions coming up that Bayern is involved in, I think uh, Marcel Zabata will get a lot of games. And I actually think this is a very smart move for Bayern. Also, as we know, Thomas Müller is getting older. And I honestly think this transfer sum that's being discussed, about 16 million euros, I think it's way too little for a Bayern. I think it suits both clubs because RB Leipzig has this philosophy of letting players go at a certain age and signing players who are 23 or younger. And obviously Sabitzer's market price is not going to rise with age. So it kind of suits both clubs. And we know that Leipzig doesn't really need money anyway. But I think this is a steal for a player who's performed exceptionally well in the Champions League over years. I'm just remembering the games against Tottenham, where he basically tore Tottenham apart single-handedly. And I think he'll he'll do very well, especially under his former coach, Julian Nagelsmann. Yeah, I know, you know, it's his last year 
and he's basically signaling he doesn't want to sign a new contract there. But that's just not enough money. That's not enough money. I mean, he's if 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 it's that little money, then just keep him. He's maybe your best player, Leipzig. If you want to do anything in either the Champions League, the Cup, the League, whatever, you should keep your best players and you know miss out on sixteen million euros. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not. I'm not cool with that. <laughs> I think that they might be at Leipzig. They might be hoping that their Hungarian um, superstar in the making. Shobo, I'm going to slaughter his pronunciation. Oh, yeah, Dominic Soboslai. There you yeah. go. Yeah, I was like, I need Derek Ray here for this. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, they might be counting on him having a breakout uh, season. There's also Amadou Haidara, who we haven't seen that much from yet, but who has a lot of potential. So I do think they have good depth in midfield. But like you said, Sabitzer, at the very least, is their best and most consistent midfielder, if not their best player. Yeah, a little bit sad, but, you know, good good for y'all, Byron. You're signing a good player for not much money. Okay, we got some more games uh, or storylines, what have you, to talk about. I think the big storyline from the, you know, Schwaben-Baden derby between uh, Stuttgart and Freiburg was just that first half of football was incredibly entertaining. It was, like, nonstop up and down. I mean, even at the point when Freiburg were 3-0 up, which they were after about half an hour in this game. I mean, you know, Jong Woo Young had a brace in the first 10 minutes. Lucas Höller, his, his strike partner, you know, got a third before the half hour mark. It was, it looked like one way traffic on the scoreboard, but you know, Stuttgart were getting into interesting positions all that time. Weird final minutes of the first half. They scored twice in two minutes. Well, you know, a lot less happened in the second half. But I was hugely entertained by this game. I wish there would be more games like this. And speaking of prognostications, I will I will say I'm feeling very good about my uh, idea that Freiburg might have a very good year this year. Yeah, I think so as well. You know, they, they also have the new stadium coming up, which is always exciting, although... In this case, it's also a little sad because I think the Schwarzwaldstadion is one of the gems of European football, uh, one of like the hidden gems, so to speak. But I think in some ways this was a great match because, you know, these these squads are a little similar in that they're both young, very diverse, you know, a lot of different nationalities coming together in kind of secondary German cities that are not like the big metropolis, but still, you know, well-known obviously from the same region and both with very exciting coaches for very, very different reasons. You know, we've got the American on one side with Stuttgart, who is at the moment at least doing probably a bit happier than Jesse Marsh because he's more in keeping with the expectations. And then we have Christian Streich, the old, in the most loving way, dinosaur of the Bundesliga and it just made for, you know, they're both lovers of attacking football and it just made for a lot of entertainment. And I really appreciate seeing that. I, I will also say something I wanted to mention. Kevin Schade, the player who came on for Freiburg, that was already his second appearance. I think he's 19 years old and he had some good scenes at the end. So he might be one to keep keep our eye on moving forward. Yeah, interestingly, I mean, now that we don't have... Yogi Love, who was, who famously kept his eye on southwestern clubs 
<laughs> more than any other in the Bundesliga. I don't know. What region is, is Hansi Flick going to favor? You know, where, where does he live? What mm-hmm. games does he go to? I guess he's probably a Bayern guy. So he'll probably go to a lot of Bayern, Augsburg, uh, <laughs> and, and, and games, uh, down in that direction. And, you know, we can, we can grouse about that. Okay. We got uh, a couple of other games, Cologne and Bochum. You know, all the action came late in the second half of this one. It was actually nil-nil with nine minutes left and, uh, you know, finished 2-1, a win for Cologne. I think we'll probably have to put a spotlight on Cologne before too long, although not this week, because something seems to be going on there. They got two wins. They had a good game against Bayern. It's uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, would we say they had a good game against Bayern? I guess, yeah, I guess for spells, they definitely matched Bayern and they played courageously. They didn't get throttled. And yeah. let's just let's just say Cologne's history against Bayern in recent years, getting throttled is the rule, not the exception. Definitely. I, I think I, I have a little bit of, you know, a bone to pick with, with Cologne because they really stayed in the Bundesliga by the skin of their teeth and with many a bruised eye, just, you know, to mix three metaphors there. But, you know, last season, I think they really very much deserved to be relegated and they weren't. So I guess in some ways they're counting their blessings right now and finally performing. I think it also has a lot to do with Modeste kind of being the Modeste of old again, because he's really the type of player who... When he, ha- when he has confidence, when he has that kind of alpha energy that we remember from years past, he can really bring the whole team along with him. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, weird, weird take of the day, but I would say maybe put five bucks on Modeste scoring 10 or more goals this season in the Bundesliga. Yeah, why not? Why not? What do you got? Two, three at this point? It's uh, it's not that far off. You just need to own a couple of more tears. Mites, no funf. They were three nil winners against uh, Kreuter Fürth. Anderson, Lukoki, and Adam Salai scored inside of 20 minutes. Mites more or less were able to cruise through the rest of that game. Their third goal came very, very late. And then uh, Augsburg were losers at home. They lost 4-1. They they actually approached the game much like Mainz, except with own goals. <laughs> they were they went down 2-0 uh, before the clock struck 15 in this game and and they did put up a fight in in the subsequent, you know, 75 minutes, but it was ultimately too deep a hole to climb out of. Anything catch your eye about uh, the, those those last four teams? I mean, Fürth look completely out of their depth to me. I, I have no reason to think that they'll be hanging around in the Bundesliga next year. Mm-hmm. Leverkusen, pretty fun. Yeah, pretty fun. I think Leverkusen just did very good business this summer. And, you know, some of those players that were there longer are also kind of finding their way now. And I think they have a really exciting pair of fullbacks in Bakker and Frimpong, the, the two Dutchmen. That's been really entertaining to see. I'm especially liking the the link-up play between Frimpong and Diaby, who really kind of seem to be able to read each other's minds and, you know, cross runs. And it's just really fun to see two players that like to find each other in that sense. It reminds me a little bit of the heyday of Hakimi and uh, Jaden Sancho at Dortmund. But the thing that I wanted to mention is just like, can we give a little, you know, credit to Bo Svensson? <laughs> because I think at the end of last season, when Mainz just kept winning and everyone was like, what's going on? You know, Mainz ended, entered uh, the winter break last year as 17th in the Bundesliga 
And then I think in the like second half, in the Rückrunden-Tabelle, so to speak, so if we just see the table of the second half, they were like fifth or something. It was ridiculous. And I think with Mainz, every year, people kind of look on their squad and they're like, nah, nah, maybe they won't make it this year. And then they always do. And in the case of Bo Svensson, it, it's... We have to remember that Mainz is kind of like the La Masia for coaches in Europe, in the sense that Tuchel and Klopp both got their start there. And, you know, maybe we should remember Bo Svensson. And maybe if any Premier League executives are listening, he might be one to keep tabs on. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or not. Just let him let him stick around in Mainz for a while. <laughs> or, or maybe go to a bigger team in the Bundesliga. And, and you know, that, then when it's really time... Actually, just don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, do, do the more like the Ralf Hasenhüttel way of of going to the Burnleys and, and Southamptons and Wolverhamptons of the world. If, if he is so inclined, you know, maybe it was always this Danish man's dream to coach in the Bundesliga. We don't know. I would have to ask him. All right. That is it for this edition of Talking Foosball. It was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really good to get you back on the show for this first go-round in this new season, Marie. Yeah, thanks for having me on, especially despite the fact that my team has been relegated to a different German league. So I appreciate still being included at this level of international, or in this case, domestic football. Hey, hey, you you contain multitudes, Marie. You're much more than, than a Schalke fan. And <laughs> as it happens, as it happens, the next edition of Talking Foosball Extra, which will be coming up in just a few days, Nick Wildhagen, he's, he's putting something together with a guest uh, all about how Schalke 04 are settling into life in its fight of Bundesliga. So, you know, maybe check that out. I will. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Uh, you can follow Marie on Twitter at Marie Shubo. Uh, if you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. Our podcast at Talking Foosball is a great place to reach out and get in touch with us. And please do subscribe. Please do rate and review and talk up this pod in real life to your real friends. It's a really big help. Talking Foosball Fantasy with JT and Flo. Of course, there is no match day four coming up next weekend, what with the international break and so forth. So they won't be back in action until after the break, but we will have some other shows to tide you over in the meantime. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.